All right, so Colossians 1, verse 3, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we always pray. We always pray. How can you always pray? If you look back in human history, there was a time in the garden when Adam and Eve had unbroken fellowship with God. It was constant, perpetual communion with God. But when sin entered the picture, we withdrew from the Lord. We withdrew in our shame and we hid from the Lord. And then eventually humans started to set up kind of religion as our way of approaching God to deal with our shame. We had high places. We had places where we'd make piles of rocks. We'd sacrifice. We'd seek God. And it became very very, very kind of situational. Instead of that unbroken communion, it seemed like what humanity settled for is occasionally we would seek the Lord in special times in religious places. Fast forward, David, and David really had it in his heart to uh, not just live himself in this beautiful palace, but to create a house for God. God said, now you're a man of violence, you can't do it, but he let his son Solomon build and dedicate this this temple, this this house for the Lord. And when he dedicates it, when Solomon dedicates this, this temple, Solomon prays that God's ears would always be attentive to all the prayers offered in this place for David's sake, because again, it was he, could, he chose David. He had a covenant with David. And the presence came for David's sake, and God said yes to it. God, he prayed this prayer. God answer all the prayers offered in this place. And then you, later on, you have like Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. He's praying, constantly praying. Three times a day, he stops to pray facing Jerusalem, even though it costs him an awful lot to do so. These are types and shadows, Old Testament types and shadows, pointing toward the time when the temple of the Lord is no longer a building in Jerusalem, but it's the people of God, that it's not the glory of God coming down on a building, but it's rather the Spirit of God coming down on the people of God. And it's not done because of God's covenant with David, but it's actually God's covenant with Jesus, the son of David. And so, Paul's saying we always pray. First off, how can we always pray? Paul's can, Paul can always pray because Jesus has, has cut a covenant with Father God to make this body right here that I'm talking to you through a temple of the Holy Spirit where, just like back in the garden, his presence doesn't leave. Jesus cut a covenant, finished the work, and I'm under grace, meaning I'm in Christ and I'm in a state of grace. I don't just receive grace when I screw up. I'm in a state of grace where his faithfulness on my behalf has secured for me promises that are secured by grace, not by me earning, but by his gift. And so I, so he never leaves. His spirit abides and he never leaves and he always hears all the prayers offered in this temple. So Paul, when he says we always pray, he's referring to a new covenant in Christ, incredible reality where when I'm in the car, I can commune with God. Where when I'm in my bed, I can commune with God and talk to God. Where when, when I'm going through hard times, I can commune with God. When I'm playing sports, I can commune with God. When I'm sitting watching Netflix, I can commune with God. When I'm in the middle of everything I'm doing, it becomes a prayer. I can be communing with God at such a level that that little inner dialogue we always have called our thought life can literally be directed permanently to the Lord. Always is not the same as a lot. He could have said we barely pray. He could have said sometimes we pray. He could have said we pray a lot. He could have said we pray often, but he chose a much, much stronger word to talk about his prayer life. He said we always pray. And in the New Testament, prayer is such a big deal. For example, prayer is so powerful that the, the, in 1 John it says, if you see your brother sin, you should pray and ask God and God will restore them. You have so much faith that I'm just going to ask God, God's Spirit is going to come. And because we know that the power of the Spirit is able to turn hearts, that he has confidence that as we just see your brother sin, you can pray and the Holy Spirit's going to come and turn his heart. 
That's amazing. I, I just, I don't know. Do we see it? If you want to read much deeper on this, I would love for you to look at a little book by Brother Lawrence and Frank Laubach that I bought for 25 cents at a little fair one day. And I read it and it changed my life because Brother Lawrence, what he figured out as a monk working in a kitchen was that, you know, contrary to some people's opinion, you don't need to have the right kind of music and the right kind of mood in the room. And you don't have to have everyone respecting the reverence of the moment to pray. He was in a busy kitchen trying to think about what to order and what to make and what he was doing next. And the whole time he had learned the secret of constant, perpetual, unbroken communion with God because it's our birthright in Christ. It's our inheritance in Christ. And there's another dude in there named Frank Laubach, who was a, a busy publisher. And he worked in a very busy office with lots of hustle and bustle. And he learned the same secret about how to commune with the perpetual presence of God and always be in an internal conversation with Abba. Unbelievable. Just such good stuff. Now, his second part, he says, is we always pray for you and give thanks. Paul, whenever he talks about prayer, he almost always immediately follows it up with the idea of giving thanks because it's possible to pray from a state of anxiety and unbelief from the problem in such a way that we actually make ourselves weaker rather than stronger. You know, like Philippians, it says, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. Well, there's a way to pray from the problem so rooted in the problem that the prayer doesn't actually lift the burden and bring the peace. It does the opposite. It makes us more weak, more anxious, less trusting. I mean, I've prayed myself into heart palpitations. I've prayed myself into a panic attack. I've prayed my into a hernia, to be honest. Paul talks about constantly giving thanks in his prayers. Giving thanks and prayer to Paul are always going together. One beautiful prayer exercise would be just to write on a piece of paper, Father, I thank you that, dot, 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 and just see how long you can go. We're not meant to pray from the problems with the perspective of the problems. Later on in Colossians chapter 3, Paul's going to say, that we're supposed to set our mind on heavenly things where on heavenly things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God in his victory over Satan sin and death and that we're supposed to fix our mind in this heavenly perspective so it's not just counting your blessings although that is powerful and important but it's 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 a perspective of giving thanks for the finished work of the gospel that enables us to pray from heaven's solutions toward earth's problems. You see, we don't even do ministry out of a, we're not driven in life by the problems, we're driven in life by the answers that are in Christ. We're not driven in life by the need of people, we're driven in life by the value that the gospel has us enabled us to see in people. We're not driven in life even by the reality of that hell's real. We're driven in life by the reality that heaven has taken hold of our heart and we see greater purpose for their life, not just to escape hell, but to live in something far superior that's being missed, right? So we're not to minister from lack. We're to minister out of the fullness of the gospel. But anyway, this is the super short version of we always pray for you and we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Boom, summary.